Hi, this is Adina here with today's episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant, podcast show of Courage to be Curious. And we are here. It is hard to imagine that this is the final month of 2019 and the final month of this journey that we've been traveling this year with thinking about the yamas and the niyamas and these core principles that are embedded in the tradition of yoga, a core limb of yoga. And I don't know about you listening, although I do know some people communicate with me regularly and have been deeply immersed in the journey, but I know for myself that I've taken some time to just sit back and think about what this journey has been like and how each one of these principles and each one of the podcasts and explorations has just sort of built a whole a picture, like a full picture of, or rich, I won't say full as in complete, but full as in rich picture of, you know, what does it mean to live yoga? And what does it mean to live in accordance with the principles and the philosophy of yoga? And I'm just amazed as I step back and I see how it's unfolding in me. And I hope for you that in this final month, as we're reflecting, we're getting broader and reflecting out, that you take some time to think about how the listening to these podcasts has impacted you and how your own exploration and journey with the Yamas and the Niyamas has influenced you over time. And as we've reached this final month, what I've done is created an incredible lineup of some of, I think my dearest yogis is what I will present them as. And you've heard from all three of them at some point in the past this year. Um, just a few weeks ago, we heard from today's guest, who we're going to have a chance to talk with again on a new topic. And then we have a couple more of my dear yogis who are coming in this month, really to help us now think broadly about, you know, what does it mean to live yoga? What does it mean not to do yoga on a mat, but what does it mean to really live yoga? And so I'm very excited this week to welcome back Kilkenny Tremblay, who is the founder of Sanctuary um, yoga and Mindfulness Center in Philadelphia and my teacher because um, I am enrolled, as you know, in a yoga teacher training program at Sanctuary and with Kilkenny as my teacher and guide for this program. So I'm so excited to have you back today. Such an honor to be here again. And Kilkenny, you and I have talked about it and I know, I mean, I feel like I know this incredibly tiny slice of your background, but I know enough to say like, wow, <laughs> that it's very rare, rare, I think, to encounter somebody, particularly in the West, but, you know, just in my travels of life anyway, who didn't come by yoga because, all right, they, it was the new wave of exercise or came by yoga because somebody said, oh, you should come to a yoga class, but somebody who grew up like the child of yoga and it has shaped and formed every part of your life from childhood to adulthood and what you have the opportunity to bring as perspective on what this actually means um, is a tremendous gift and I'm so excited to be welcoming it into our conversation today. Well, it's such a, a joy to, to share and to be with someone in the company of an individual who, who is that passionate and excited about it all. <laughs> Contagious. So share with us a little bit about your childhood. Like, I want to know more. What was your childhood like? And, and what was the you know, presence of yoga as you grew? Well, I was very incredibly fortunate to have a mother who, when I was five years old, took me to her friend's meditation and yoga class 
This was in the late 70s, early 80s, where there was not a yoga studio in every other block in urban environments or anywhere. And literally this practice was being offered in people's homes and people's basements, really very similarly to how it was offered, you know, since time immemorial in India, frankly, when things were passed down orally, when traditions um, and ritual were very intimate, creating a real sanctity and um, really numinous experience of the practices of yoga. And so um, my mother, who is, in, is still an incredible reverent seeker of knowledge of self, of knowledge of this path, um, took me, ushered me to these classes. And I remember I was the only child and there were all these, it was ex women who, who came and I have flashes of like bell bottoms, people in bell bottoms, there weren't like, you know, $150 yoga pants going on. And individuals who really were interested in these practices um, that are so incredibly life-enhancing. So that ignited my journey. And then when I was about 10 years old, my same, my same and amazing mama started taking me to the Catskill Mountains, which I don't know if you've heard this term colloquially, it's known as the Bajan Belt. And that just... No, Jews, as uh, my tradition comes from, have a totally different relationship right. with the Catskill Mountains. <laughs> <laughs> the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it's funny because a lot of the retreats were, that I attended as a young person were in these buildings that were, you know, formerly in the 50s and the 60s, Mrs. Basil, Dirty Dancing, <laughs> a la turned, um, you know, meditation and yoga retreat sites um, when all those people got plane tickets and started traveling elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so then from about the age of 10, really on to my early adulthood through when I was 27, I really view that time in hindsight and retrospect to my, my boot camp, so to speak, of being immersed fully in these practices. I would go every summer to the Catskills and had such incredible good fortune to study with some of the top scholars in the world people who are Sanskrit experts, people who are monks, shamans, even priestesses, healers. Um, and it was just a really, really amazing and, um, gift to have had that experience. And when I went to college, I chose to go back to that area because I had such a connection to it and to the individuals there. So I studied at Bard College. And then even after that, I was lucky enough that my partner wanted to live there. Um, even though I met him in Philadelphia, we went back there and um, you know, really lived there until I was 27 years old. So when you were a teenager and growing up and sort of learning in these, what sense did you, what was, what do you remember about what sense you were making of the experience at that time? Were you aware of how special this was at the time? Did you notice what it felt like or seemed like in contrast to the world outside of you? What was it like for you as a teenager? It's such a great question. Um, and it really was something that I was cognizant of that was incredibly unique at the time. Like I had a keen and acute sense. First of all, I remember thinking really early on, particularly when I started going up to the Catskills, 
and had these like long periods where I was totally immersed in the practices that um, everything now made sense. Like I, I had this deep understanding that I was learning a scaffolding and a, an inner technology of the way to navigate life. And I had a sense that this was really profound. And the beauty of the contrast when I would come back to Philadelphia is that I saw that not everyone had this. And this was a great gift. And I was, I was definitely aware of it at the time. And there was definitely, you know, the sense of contrast, but it's in the contrast, right? Like Albert Einstein says that, like in the, the contrast and the hardness, right? There are the opportunities to see. And, and that's very much what it was like. So I have to ask this question. It's um, definitely not where we're going to delve deeply, but just as a teenager. So when you would come back and there was this contrast, I mean, I know that even, for example, when I lived overseas and then came back here and the contrast, the contrast can be a little unsettling. Like you almost don't know, I know for me, like I almost didn't know what to do with myself. Like, how do I fit here? Like my experience seems so different than others. And where do I fit and where do I belong? Did you have a sense of rootedness that enabled you to navigate in all circles? Or did you have this sense of like, wow, I have to figure out exactly where I belong because my experience is so different? I think I've definitely felt like I was having a very different set of experiences. I was aware of that. And so for sure, I didn't have a sense that it was the norm. And so there was at times a sense of um, tension of, of, you know, being in say like middle school, high school and living like a more traditional lifestyle, you know, and, and having really these, you know, fascinating and sublime and blissful at times, ecstatic experiences. And then, you know, coming back to that at times, you know, that contrast, you know, was a challenge, but more so and more often, what it really gave me was a deep sense of how to manage that day-to-day -day life. And really what you're speaking of is still to this day what I'm so um, passionate about when it comes to the yoga, right? These practices that take us from the macro completely um, deep and expansive experiences and how do we translate those into the micro day-to-day -day mundane living so you know it taught me a great service which i'm still practicing today and hopefully now sharing with others that experience so that's a perfect point let's make that transition and talk you know firstly about what is yoga? In the last episode that we talked together and a few weeks ago, you mentioned the eight limbs of yoga. I'm not sure everyone's familiar with the eight limbs who might be listening. So, you know, we can start there. And but what, it, what is yoga? Um, and, you know, I think it'll be exciting for people to hear how you convey that given your background and the people that you've studied with. So what is yoga? Well, yoga and etymologically, the root of the word yoga comes from the Sanskrit and the Indo-European language um, rooted in the word yuj, which literally translates as to yoke or to connect. Mm -hmm. Even if you know like the, the jugular vein and artery, right? Um, that comes from this root. And 
it's it's really this incredible technology of practices. And the thing that really hit the mark of my heart as a child and continues to do so through adulthood is this experience of you don't have to believe anything. You don't have to even give up your beliefs. You can believe in nothing. And even right now with this podcast, there's nothing I can say that's, oh, you have to subscribe and believe X, Y, and Z. The technology of yoga says, hey, here's a set of practices. Go do them and see what's true for you. And so this is an incredibly powerful thing. So people who are very steeped in cultural tradition or religious traditions, and that was one thing I loved when I was growing up in the Catskills at these different retreats, studying with these different masters from around the world who would come in the summers, is that I would walk into a room and I would see like Buddhist nuns and I'd see rabbis and I'd see, you know, Lenny Kravitz was there and, you know, Melanie Gibson. And it was just like this incredible motley crew of individuals from all different backgrounds from all over the world. And that's what is so exciting to me about this tradition of yoga. And that's what is so to me modern, as ancient as it is, why in this modern age is it so popular and becoming more and more so because it really is this amazing philosophy and really lifestyle and path that's choose your own adventure and you can apply and do what works for you and you don't have to believe anything you don't have to give anything up you don't have to take anything on it's it's there to really support and work for you i you know as you're saying that i think about the beauty of that and you know, the brilliance of that, that it can be both structure, but non-dogmatic at the same time, right? So the practices provide this beautiful structure. And yet, as you said, there's nothing you have to believe in order to belong. There's nothing you have to believe in order to be doing it right. You know, and even in the practices, that itself is a journey too. You know, there's guidance and, you know, ways that you can begin to take it on, but even that journey becomes your own too. You know, I think about when people, as one of the practices being meditation, when people talk to me and they struggle with meditation or what is meditation or this works for me, that doesn't work for me. And, you know, as I've learned from you too, like it's all beautiful. Let's find a path that's open for you because there isn't a right way. And, you know, it's almost, I think that's one of, the, the beauties of it, but maybe even difficult sometimes for people to digest. Wait, what do you mean there's no right way or there's no dogma that I have to believe because we've become so um, we've become so accustomed and acclimated to that that it almost seems startling the fact that that's not what this is about. But yet it has a structure to it that opens up so much beauty. So true. So true. It really is so much about in one sense choose your own adventure because when you say yoga it's almost synonymous to saying like, oh, like family, you know, like family, we each have family and that means certain things to each one of us individually and their overtones and, you know, emotions and all sorts of things come up. And yet when we speak with one another and you say, oh, my family or, you know, my sibling or this or that, there's a, there's a deep, you know, connection about that. But yoga itself, but the word yoga has a myriad of iterations, of paths, of lineages, of practices, of styles, 
So in some sense, it can feel, especially as Americans, incredibly nebulous because, you know, in our country, it's not always presented in a coherent way, right? We've got capitalism and now all the different yoga studios and retreat sites and people teaching and places have, that have popped up, which is so amazing and such a testament to the power of the practices and the path. However, it can be confusing because as individuals, each one of us might need a different RX and a different application in technology, in styles of meditation and styles of practice that really help us to know ourselves more fully. Because ultimately at the end of the day, yoga is about this yoking, this connection. And this connection and yoking is really to ourselves and all layers of self. Yoga has this template. So as you mentioned, and you've done so skillfully laying out the template of the yamas, niyamas, and the eight limb path, there are different templates that come from different branches on this tree of yoga. There's another template that um, is known as the koshas. And it's one prism that you can look through in understanding oneself. And that prism is that there's five layers of our being. So one can think like an onion, these five layers, yeah? The first one is called uh, anamaya kosha. And it means the layer of self that's the body, that's the physical body. It's translated loosely as food body. Yeah? And so a lot of us are really used to being in our body and we know what that means. But some of us actually aren't, you know, great at being in the body or being in our body feels like a big bummer. And so there are different practices that can help us connect more and come into alignment more with being in our bodies. Then that second layer of the metaphorical onion is the pranayama kosha, which refers to the energy body or loosely translated as breath body so when we feel our breath and the energies that flow even within our blood systems and a lot of our fluid systems in our body that is the layer of self there we know if we hold our breath we have, there's a certain effect if we're anxious it has an effect on our breath I, I hear it all the time in my line of work people will say to me Oh, I've never breathed in my entire life, actually. And now that, you know, when they come to yoga, they go, oh, I actually have breathed, you know? Mm -hmm. So I hear that, you know? And so that's that layer. Then we have a third layer, which is called yana, maya kosha, which is the layer of mind, the layer of intellect. And it's that wonderful capacity that you and I are even working with, the words and verbal dexterity and understanding things through our mind, which is a great gift in technology, when in alignment, when connected, yoked to ourself and our deep values and deep truth and deep experience. However, a lot of us have the experience where the mind is like a mouse gnawing at us and that, that it's agitated. So we learn to work with that. The fourth layer is called Vyanamaya Kosha, loosely translated as wisdom body. And that's very much like when we get struck with an idea of brilliance or something incredibly inspiring. I call it the inner GPS when all of a sudden we think of someone and they call or we're writing a piece of music and it all of a sudden quickly downloads. That's the Vyana Maya Kosha. And then there's the Ananda Maya Kosha, which is considered the deepest layer of self known as bliss body or contentment body. And 
so often, particularly the last two, right? The, the insight and the intuitive body and that bliss contentment body. A lot of us feel like we've never gone there or very, very rarely the birth of a child or, you know, when we're totally relaxing on our vacation at the beach, but a lot of times we haven't spent much time there. And so yoga is about finding balance with all these five layers of self and particularly the ones that we feel not in a harmonious relationship or a blockage too, it helps us explore in that way. So, you know, I think this is, I, I love talking about the koshas because I think it's that sense of the multi-layeredness of ourselves and our experience. Also recognizing as I listen to it, that there could be the experience of listening on the other side. Well, wow, you just talked about kind of the balance of experiences between, you know, all of those. Where's our comfort or how much do we have access to these different layers in ourself? And somebody might be listening and saying, wow, I don't know if I've ever accessed three or four of those that exactly. you've just talked about. And so can you sort of give some specific how – do the practices of yoga help us to gain access to bring a greater sense of balance or you know, access to those different layers of ourselves and a greater balance within? Yeah, well, just like you said so adeptly, some people have the experience, literally, they've not been in one of these layers of self or it's very uncomfortable. And this is parenthetically why I love this tradition because it's so practical and there are these different paradigms that you can try on and see if they fit for you in your life and your own self-evolution and involvement. Um, so, I mean, it's, I could, we could speak an hour about different practices and, and coming into balance, but, you know, obviously meditation is considered a really key cornerstone practice. At the studio that I own and anchor, we are incredibly passionate about this. And one of the things that's unique is that we play with different styles and different traditions. And so there's some paths of yoga that do offer a complete A plus B plus C plus D plus E. And there's like a very you know, clear and more linear path. And the traditions that I have studied and practiced with are not that way. It's very much about the individual. And so with meditation, you'll find like, and when you said some people say, oh, I can't meditate, it's so hard. It might be that they're not using technology that's appropriate for their personality, for their disposition. And so meditation is a way to really transport oneself and help create balance to all five layers of self that I had mentioned prior. Ultimately, meditation when it is practiced a lot and with consistency and with the appropriate technique and technology for an individual leads to that center body of Ananda Maikosha, the center bliss body, for sure. Um, and yet it's something that really is fabulous because it creates balance in a way that you don't have to worry about getting into one of the bodies and quote unquote fixing it like it does its thing like if you're meditating and you are not a lot in your breath body the meditation will help you get into your breath body if you're someone who is in your mind a lot you find appropriate technique it'll help calm the mind down 
So it's a lot about working and coming into which tools and techniques that work with your disposition. And that's when a teacher comes in. Finding a guide who can really help and support you figuring that out. I mean, some people can figure it out themselves. And these days, there's such an incredible wealth of you know, information. And I'm amazed when I, and it, frankly, to me, it's even overwhelming. Like when I go on, I see like, you know, go to Insight Timer 50,000 meditations. But how cool is that? And I think that's amazing. Like I used to have to travel like four and a half hours in the car <laughs> at best to get that, right? And now with our modern day culture, it's such a, such an incredible boon, but with that boon, of course, and so much uh, choice comes sometimes less clarity. And that's when a teacher can really help guide you. I think, you know, one of the things that really stands out from what you said that I want to underscore is the sense of finding the right technology for you, right? That there's so many ways and tools or technologies that are available. And so instead of our saying, okay, this thing I tried didn't work and then abandoning it exactly. is continuing to be a seeker, right? Continuing to seek to find the one that's right for you. I mean, there's so many things, you know, we all walk into a clothing store, but we don't, don't feel that the same clothes are appropriate for us. We don't all have the same food, you know, mm -hmm. you know, we shop at different stores. We try, you know, eat different things. We like different TV shows. Why wouldn't it also be the case that we would gain access, you know, into meditation in different ways and, you know, to broaden our perspective about that so that we continue to seek and know that there are myriad of approaches and technologies, as you call them, that can offer us the way in, that we're not limited by one. And if we don't seem good at it or it doesn't seem easily accessible, that we're no good at it or it's failed or it doesn't work, right? And I love that. And I just want to underscore that so that it continues to inspire, that we can keep going and, and pursuing. It's true. I had a meditation teacher who used to say like, People would come to him and, and people would hear him tell them one thing. And then someone else would come to him and people would hear him tell a different person the opposite. And everyone would say, what's up with that? And he'd say, well, it's like someone comes to me and they're riding a bike, but they're leaning totally to the right. So you got to pull them left. And another person comes, they're leaning totally to the left. You got to pull them right. Because it's all about like finding center, finding connection. That yoking. Oh, that was perfect. Love that analogy. That's great. So let's talk a little bit again in practical terms around, you know, a lot of people are on their mats because we do have yoga studios now. We're not in the basement of people's homes, but we actually do. Many of us have choices. I know that I attend at least three or four different yoga studios here. And every time I go to another city for whatever visiting, that's always the first thing I do is find a yoga studio that I think is going to be a good match. Um, so people are spending a lot more time on the mat and most of us are going to the mat without the years of study and experience that you know you had prior to it which i think informed you early that yoga was a way of life and a way of approaching life and what you did on the mat or in the poses the asanas was informative for that whereas like many people here are starting on the mat right and then we talk about bringing the mat into the rest of your life so for people who are making the journey in that direction you know what are a couple of really i, I think concrete examples of ways that you can help people see how what we do on the mat can inform how we live our life out there particularly in some of the more challenging ways things we can find ourselves in when we're off the mat yeah, well, you know, the physical practice 
Um, and one of the reasons I think it has become such a way in for people is because a lot of people are more checked out of their bodies now, right? Like 50, 100 years ago, people were doing much more manual labor and, you know, for thousands of years before that. So as a culture and as a society, that first layer of self I mentioned, like the onion, a lot of us are are not connected to that because we're in the mental sphere, we're on the computers, we're doing the technology. There's so much in society really pulling us away from checking into our bodies. So this is the positive thing about asana, the physical postures. And however, there's so much more than touching one's toes. It's what do you learn on the way down and up from that, right? And then how do we transliterate that like you beautifully articulated into our day-to-day life? And again, it's going to be very different for everyone, but certainly the emphasis one learns on the mat in terms of, first of all, how one approaches the practice of asana. You could learn a lot about yourself, right? Do you push through asana? Do you push through pain? How do you work with your breath? Are you breathing? You know, the thoughts and things that come up during the physical practice, if we start to pay attention and like a scientist or explorer even, get really curious about and start connecting those patterns of thought, inevitably one will see them later and to see those same patterns of thoughts and way of being with one's breath and relationship with one's body off the mat. So that is the way that the body can act like a bridge. The other thing is that in taking it into one's life, and this is something I'm so passionate about at our studio, Sanctuary Yoga and Mindfulness, is that often in our culture, the psycho-spiritual and psychological philosophies and overtones have been extracted out. So a lot of yoga classes you go to, they're saying, you know, downward facing dog, we talk about poses, but there's not any implementation and presentation of this philosophy. So seeking out classes that have this orientation is a huge part of it because truly the tradition has never been just do five sun salutations until it came to America, right? And got make yoga out mm-hmm. um, as we do so well in this country. And so it's not, there's no benefit from doing classes that have no theme, et cetera, and philosophy. However, if one is attending classes that don't have that, they're only attending classes that are serving like appetizers and not like the full entree, so to speak. So really, again, coming back to the teacher, the place that you're taking yoga and what is the offering on those other levels of mind, of breath, of wisdom body, of bliss, contentment body, you know, and asking oneself that because when you go to a class and, you know, the teacher begins a class and perhaps shares a poem like William Blake, um, to see a world in a grain of sand, heaven in a wildflower, to hold infinity in the palm of one's hand, an eternity in an hour. And you just hear that? Right away, it takes us into the level of, oh, I'm here and I'm going to be exploring the micro and the macro and the relationship between those two things. Oh, right away. And you know, there are many things I could say about that. 
And as a viewer, you can even think about that and take that in or listen or rather. And if one is then taking a class and the teacher refers to these notions about finding the sacred in the mundane, about finding the infinite within the finite, if you press the ball of your big toe into the ground, you activate your calf muscle. Great. If you press the ball of the big toe you know, into the ground, which is a demonstration of your commitment to your own deep growth, self-knowing, and claiming of power, you're going to press the ball of your foot probably a little bit harder. And so this is, this is part of the practice. You know, and then in terms of taking it into our life, we practice these things on the mat, pausing, breathing, paying attention to where the body is in space. Studies show now that these very laser-like, acute practices of action incredibly rapidly reduce things like anxiety, things like depression, stress. So they're stress digesters, which is where because we're placing our mind in one clear defined spot where often our mind and our thoughts are dispersed and going 180 miles an hour in many different directions. By placing the mind on a specific area of the body, on a specific uh, philosophy of the heart, the mind, like a Jedi, starts to get really honed. And then we start to practice that off the mat, practice pausing, practice breathing, practice placing our mind and holding it there for several moments at a time when we're speaking to someone or when we're having that really difficult conversation or when we're having really, really joyful experience, but we're not paying attention to the joyful experience that much. So we don't even get to digest those sweeter moments of our life that are that Ananda Maya Kosha that send her bliss contentment body. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm glad that you brought this, you brought this forward, these examples, the way that you did, because I think that that certainly has been my experience, you know, that we have this opportunity to practice with intention and mindfulness on the mat so that we can live with intention and mindfulness off of the mat and it's a safe place to play and it's a powerful place to play and it's so informative. And as you started with, only if that's actually what's happening when we're in the practice, you know, we can be touching our toes and raising our arms and all of those things and we'll get some physical benefit. But in terms of growing how we're going to experience and engage in life, that only comes when it's guided and informed by a mindfulness and a, by an intention and a focus to what we're doing and how that can translate. Without that, we're just moving. Exactly. And, and the physical practice as the meditation practice, you know, the meditation is, I, I lovingly and jokingly say, is like getting on treadmill for your mind. You're making your mind stronger. But they all birth the fruit of mindfulness, this paying attention, right? We do the physical postures if you do them. Some people don't do the physical postures. That's not their practice at all. Some people do the pranayama, the breath work, and that is their practice. You know, and practice is simply defined as, you know, consistent um, exercises one does over a long period of time within one's mind, within one's breath, within ultimately one's life. But those 
detail practices that we're delineating and describing are what yields and bursts this really sweet fruit of mindfulness and paying attention to the moments of our life so we don't miss them and we live them in a more aligned conscious way. And I just, you know, I want to, as we're sort of wrapping toward the end here, want to just share with everybody who's listening the, what's different about going to sanctuary yoga. You know, mm -hmm. I've practiced at many different studios and I've been in many different retreats, um, centers, and just like the tradition offers a lot, I've loved many of them, right? You know, and I remember when I first signed up in the training course, I was like, all right, I don't really know what to do. I've done, gone to this Shivananda ashram that practices this very strict Hatha classical tradition. And then I've got Ashtanga classes over here. And then I've got these flow things. And then you do it this way. And at first I was like, what do I do with all of this? Like, how does it all make sense? And then here's a little plug for the infusion program at Sanctuary, even if you're not going for a full teacher training, even the four-month infusion program, which just helped to make sense. Which of, is the beginning of which, the teacher training, right. but you, you know, just the, like the little pre-appetizer. Uh, right, it's the appetizer so to the teacher to training, the but you don't have to do the whole thing, and you can do this infusion program and really get a sense as to how is this whole tradition, you know, how is it unfolded and what are all the different limbs? And for me, it was you know, groundbreaking. Oh my gosh, now I can make sense of why these things have been different and felt differently in different places. And it also then, instead of feeling confused, said, oh, now you have permission to kind of draw in what works for you from here and draw in what works for you from here and draw in. So I think, you know, one of the things about sanctuary is this depth of understanding of how, where all the traditions how the tradition has unfolded, what all the different limbs of it are, or the different um, tradition parts of the tradition are, and you know, then this deep commitment to encouraging people to find what is your particular path here. And one of the things that is so incredibly special, because I've been in so many classes, is that you know, and as an educator, like you're not teaching or even. In um, cueing the poses, you are guiding bodies, like people's bodies and people's practice. And so there are people in the room who have a whole variety of different bodies or different ways, and they move in different ways, and they have different configurations and different needs. And, you know, it's so beautiful, because in the class experience, it's, you're looking at people's bodies, you're not you know, cueing just poses, like you're looking at people's bodies and how are people moving and what is going to be good for this person. And as you said, if this person's moving too much to the right, how do you pull them to the left? But if the next person is moving too much to the left, how do you move them to the right? And there's this incredibly deep attention to the individual souls and the individual bodies that are in the room that is really beautiful. And you know, this focus on alignment, that we don't do this so you can become necessarily more flexible and eventually touch your toes. We're doing this so that your soul, your mind, your spirit, and your body can find their place of alignment. And we want to be here to open up paths to guide you in doing that. And it's so explicit and so embedded that it's just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, well, how you do what you do matters. And as you said, on the physical level, it's gonna be really different for each body. And that's part of our great passion is to really meet people where they are, as they are, and then help them find 
within each posture, within each moment, the most optimal alignment for them, really to create a sense of longevity as well, right? Because it's, we want to be able to be doing the poses or the, even the meditation for as long as possible, the breath work for as long as possible. So, so much uh, that I think about and I see is, okay, how do, how do we make this sustainable for the long haul? So we're, we're experts at that too, for sure. So, so thank you also for, for really seeing what we're offering um, that is so unique. Yeah. And, and this, this country, as you said, um, in terms of not understanding, for a lot of us as consumers of yoga, when we go into different places, has really, you know, sometimes culturally appropriated the practices, at best cut the practices off from the roots. So you get the fresh flowers from the beloved or loved one, and they're beautiful, but again, that longevity, they don't last because they're not rooted in anything, right? So when we start to understand as practitioners the roots, where things are coming from, the perspectives, darshana is the word for that in yoga, like the perspective. Okay, this is a Tibetan Zen meditation. And so, oh, I understand that this is done by a group of monks living in caves. And so if you're a more solitary person, that really might work for you. But for the mama who's, you know, got three kids on her hip, and doing something else that might not work for her, you know, and so it's like that understanding where the practices come from, their flavors, their lineage, um, who it first initiated them and their lifestyle, all that understanding is going to help you find your way with what's going to work for you and create more wholeness and, and healing on levels of body, heart, mind, because it really is this you know, triadic practice of body, heart, and mind. And when we can come to the practice and, and approach the, the practice in that way, that's when it can really be life-changing, game-changing, and illuminative. That's beautiful. And I also want to just make sure that as, because um, I'm secretly here, you know, saying, oh, I want people who are listening to want to come to Sanctuary to like want to try it out. You know, that the studio's commitment to being a good community member is also pretty powerful, mm -hmm. right? And that every, I think it's almost every month, right? That you have some way that you're engaging, whether it's through collections or, you know, different ways of supporting the community because one of the core tenants too and how you choose to live so I'm very intentionally done and so you know if you are listening and you want to find Kilkenny we're going to give you all kinds of ways to follow her and social media and if you are interested in trying out Sanctuary Yoga at 13th and Locust in Philadelphia they come down and maybe even let me know we'll go and join mm -hmm. a class together I'll be there this uh, Thursday and Saturday practicing with Kilkenny mm -hmm. um, and you know, she has a beautiful blog that's on the website, a newsletter that's available, and then they also have special workshops so that if you're not local, but you want to come in and sort of get a sense as to what it is like to be in Kilkenny's presence, which is sometimes we talk about her as the fairy, the way she like hops and lands and just sort of spreads her light around, which is beautiful, um, or see what the practice is at Sanctuary Yoga and Mindfulness um, Center that you can come and check it out. So how do they find you on the web or on social media? So we're sanctuaryyo.com on the web. And um, handle is at sanctuary underscore yoga. 
My personal handle where I offer tidbits is at yoga Kilkenny. That's spelled K-I-L-K-E-N-N-Y. Coming up, in addition to trainings, which we run annually, the next teacher training in Infusion that you mentioned starts uh, next fall, early September. So people can go online and look for that if they're interested. A four-weekend deep dive into these technologies and practices, and that is the beginning foray to our teacher training if you're interested in learning how to share mindfulness and or yoga practices. I also have um, a chakra workshop coming up Saturday, December 14th. And that is another gorgeous and ultra inspiring template that one can work with a chakras um, to take the yoga off the mat and into life. Because really at the end of the day, that is my deepest passion and mission with, with the business and offering of it. Fabulous. So yes, you can look for that. That is open to the public, even though it's part of our teacher training, people are invited in. And I guess until that studio is packed and then we can't invite any more people in. (laughs) We can't, we can't. (laughs) So, you know, you can find that on the website. And so Kilkenny, I want to thank you for sharing today, for just sharing the light of your knowledge and your experience and your um, life as Mm -hmm. a yogi with all of us today and the ways in which you've kind of opened the portals and expanded the portals for thinking about what it means to live yoga. Thank you. It's a true honor and a true, true joy. So thank you for having me. And stay with us the rest of the month because as I promised, we have um, a couple of other amazing yogis too to continue to expand on this theme of what does it mean to live yoga, to continue to open portals for you to consider what it means for you. And as we are closing out December and it's a time of reflection and heading into a new year, again, time of reflection and thinking about how we've grown and how we're, where we're continuing to grow in our lives. These are great conversations to inspire that. So I hope that you'll stay with us all month long and we will be back again next week with another episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant.